Right. Good morning. Welcome this morning. How's everybody doing? All doing good. All right. Praise the Lord. Hey, uh, thank you so much for your prayers, for your love and support. The trip to Cuba was amazing. Uh, the Lord did so many awesome things. Uh, we're hopefully going to have a uh, like a night of um, like a missions update for the work that God is doing in Cuba. One of the pastors that we are supporting. Um, some of you know him, Pastor Yoel. He's from an area um, called Cifuentes, so you can check it out on a map in Cuba. He will be with us the first week in March, so that Wednesday night, we'll probably have like a little recap of the trip, have him share also about the work that God is doing in Cuba. Um, there's nothing like hearing from a Cuban pastor what's going on there, and to see the amazing fruit that um, is coming out of uh, the hardship um, the difficulty that they go through in Cuba, um, the oppression, the persecution. It's pretty gnarly over there. Um, but God is doing an amazing work and allowing us, you guys, to be a part of that. So thank you. Again, thank you for your prayers, your love, your, your support. I'm so glad to be back there with you. I missed you guys. <laughs> so good to be back and uh, to be together. So we have a Bible study this morning. We are in, what book are we in? Thank you, First Corinthians. What chapter? Everybody know what chapter? After six, listen, second service people are with it. I don't know if it's the nine o'clock service. Everybody's just kind of waking up a little. They're they're saying five, six, seven, four, somewhere between. You know, good time to turn your Bibles with me to First Corinthians chapter six. You guys ready for this? heavy. It's needed though, isn't it? It's necessary. The Lord is so faithful to meet us right where we are at, to speak to our hearts. The Lord knows what we need, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 6. Still some good rustling going on. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this special time that um, you've allowed us to have together. To be with you this morning, Jesus, what an amazing honor and privilege. And just to consider that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. Thank you for how you love us, each and every one of us. You love us, you cherish us. Again, what an amazing thought, Lord. And thank you for how you nourish us. We are in need of you, Lord, teaching us, ministering to us, speaking to our hearts, to our minds. We desperately need a fresh work of your spirit. And so have your way. Have your way in our hearts. In this place, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 6, let me just remind us of just the context as we're rolling through this letter together. Remember, this is a corrective epistle, and that means that there's lots of correction going on in this epistle, in this letter to the church. Why is there lots of correction? Because there's lots of, lots of problems, lots of issues, right? And the Corinthians had a lot of problems. And anywhere there are people, there are problems, aren't there? 
Even when God's people are gathered together, are there problems sometimes? I hear about them sometimes over in Katy and Tomball, but this church, this area, not so much. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, um, I'm realizing more and more we, uh, we are uh, people in need of God's help. And we don't want to allow those little issues, those little divisions, those little disputes... Um, to divide us. I mean, it, if you think about it, it is a miracle. It is a supernatural work that God has done bringing us together. Correct? As a family? Right? I mean, it, it, the, the Apostle John, after decades of walking with Jesus, it blew him away. Behold what manner of love that we might be called the children of God. And that is what we are, God's children together. And he's brought us together not only as a church, but as a family. Not only as a family, we're called a holy temple also. We are a building. We are the bride of Christ. We are a body. And we are to be, listen, he's made us one, hasn't he? We've been made one, correct? You guys still with me this morning? In fact, Jesus prayed that, that that would continue, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. How close are the Father and Son? They're inseparable. There's that closeness. And, and, and Paul said that in Ephesians 4, that a, that a walk that is worthy, a worthy walk with Jesus in light of all that he's done for us, one of those things that accompanies a worthy walk is to what is to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes an endeavoring, doesn't it? It takes some effort. It doesn't come natural because we are natural irritants. It doesn't come natural. But as we, as, we, as we are filled with the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit, as we live in the Spirit, the Lord does that glorious thing of knitting our lives together um, uh, growing us together as well. And so, and listen, we will struggle with sin. Don't, don't we struggle with sin sometimes? We do. We fight the flesh. There's a battle that goes on within us now as Christians, and we treat others wrongly sometimes. We make wrong decisions. Anybody make wrong decisions ever here? Yeah, and, and I'm not saying that to justify those things at all. But listen, we all need Jesus, every one of us. And we all need to help one another, okay? We all need to help one another in our journey with Jesus, in our journey, journey together as a family. And so let's check it out. God's given us instruction to help us in this. Look at chapter 6. God's Word says, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous, and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments... Concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so? 
that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. So let me draw your attention to verse 1. Paul is blown away here. He's like, how dare you? Are you kidding me? That, that's kind of the, the, what he's saying here. And he, and he is angry, but this is not fleshly anger. This is anger for the glory of God. He's like, how dare you, brothers and sisters, go to court and sue one another rather than dealing with your issues in the church? That's heavy. And notice with me, let me look what it says in verse 1. Having a matter against Another. This is the issue. One Christian believed that he had been wronged by another Christian and he was seeking justice in the local courts. And you guys remember in our Bible studies in Israel, when you had a legal issue, you would go to the gate. That's where, um, where you could find justice. That's where you could find uh, the court to deal with your issues. But it's different in the Greek world, in the Gentile world. When you went to court, you would be going to, it's called the Bema Seat of Judgment. And it would be in the marketplace. It's called the Agora. It's in the marketplace. And guess what? When you go to the marketplace, guess who's there? Lots of people. Lots of people. And that was a big thing to do. That was entertainment. To go and to watch the case of the day. Let's go and watch these Christians suing one another. And Paul's saying that should not happen. Rather than, rather than doing that, you need to deal with your issues within the church. Because what would happen? You take your issues to the court in the middle of the marketplace, and guess what people begin to do? They begin to gossip. They begin, they begin, they begin to say, you know what? I don't want any part of that drama. You're saying we need Jesus. What are you talking about? Look at you guys. And what was happening was, again, rather than Corinth impacting and in, or the church impacting and influencing Corinth, Corinth was impacting and influencing the church. Notice what it says there with me in verse one. They're going to law or they're going to the courts before the unrighteous. That word unrighteous means unjust or literally means to be unsaved. Someone that's not saved. They're going to the unsaved to get justice for the issues that they're dealing with with one another. And again, God does this amazing work to bring us together. And what begins to happen when we allow a little bit of pride, a little bit of selfishness in, right, in, in between our relationships? What begins to happen? Like leaven, it spreads, causing damage, causing division. And notice Paul reminds them, look what he says, he says, you go to law before the unrighteous and not before the who? What are saints? It sounded right. I hear a lot of different things. That's good. Is that like some football players from New Orleans? Did I hear that somewhere? Are, are saints like 3% of the church? 
they're kind of like the, the Christians that glow, walk, like they glow, they kind of like walk on air when you see them. They come every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, Wednesday night, they go to prayer service, they go, is that what saints are? Listen, look around the room. Saints are born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's us, you guys. We are called saints. And here's the thing about that word saint or saints. It means different. It means unlike any other. It means holy, to be set apart for the Lord's use and for the Lord's purposes. We are to be a set apart for the Lord. Our lives are to be different. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have the holy, we have the spirit of the living God living within us. You guys, God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit living in us, who's changing us and molding us and shaping us. We our lives would be markedly different, you guys. And the Holy Spirit is taking us in a direction, isn't he? As we're being led by him. He is the Holy Spirit, correct? Not the hip spirit, not the culturally relevant spirit. He's taking us in that direction of holiness, of Christ-likeness. And so Paul goes on in verse 2 and 3, and he asks this question, listen, six times in this chapter, six, how many times? Six times, he says, do you not know? Look at it. He says in verse 2, verse 3, I've got an underline in my Bible, verse 9, verse 15, verse 16, and verse 19. The assumption is this is something we need to know. You should know this. I should know this. In fact, Paul's saying this. He knows what he taught them. He was with the church, wasn't he? Almost two years. He knew what he taught them. He had taught them the word of God. These things should have been, listen, these things should be in their hearts and in their heads. And they should be walking in these things that they have learned. And so notice what it says. Paul takes it from the greater to the lesser in these two verses. He says, number one, you saints, you saints are going to do what? You will have a role in judging the world. Is that amazing? Is that, does that blow anybody away this morning? When's that going to happen? How's that all work out? How are we going to be judging isn't that what it says? We're going to be judging the world. Well, we learned a couple of weeks ago, we're not, it's not our job to judge people, right? The unsaved. But there will be a time when we will judge the world. I believe it's going to happen when Jesus comes back at his second coming to set up his kingdom on earth. The Bible tells us Revelation 2, Revelation 3, Daniel 7. You can look those up on your own and discover those verses. That we will somehow be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ as his, as his saints. Is that amazing? Amen. We're going to have some type of administrative responsibilities. serving. We're going to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in some amazing capacity. Isn't that amazing that he shares ministry with us? Not only now, but in the life to come also. And Paul's reminding them, listen, this is in your future. You should know this. You are going to be judging the world. But not just that. Does this blow anybody? Did you see verse 3? Anybody see verse 3? You're going to be judging who else? The angels. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. Does that mean our guardian angels? 
Does that mean I'm going to see, I'm going to see, like, maybe his name is Fred. Fred, dude, what happened back there? Remember when I was 35? Dude, you dropped the ball. You, those wingtips, you dropped the ball. Drop down and give me 20 right here. Is that what, is that what we're talking about here? Uh, listen, I don't think it's talking about the faithful angels. I think it's talking about the fallen angels. Who will be judged. And somehow, some way, those, those evil fallen angels, we're going to take part in judging them. And so what, what's, the, what's the point, though, that Paul's making? Since that's in our future, since we are qualified to do that, since that is the case, we ought to be able to clear up these little teeny issues within the church. Are you with me? You know what Paul's trying to do? He's trying to get them to see with an eternal perspective. How often do we lose eternal perspective? Don't we? We get so focused on our little world, our little thing, our little whatever we got, our little kingdom. And we miss the big picture. We miss what the Lord is doing. I'm blown away. This is amazing to consider here. Because why? Because everything God, listen to this, everything God is building into our lives right now is going to be used in the life to come. Let that wash over you this morning. Brother or sister, everything God is building into your life right now is going to be used in the future. Isn't that glorious? So we should be taking care of these issues. These issues pale in contrast to what's ahead of us, you guys. And don't we have little arguments sometimes, little petty issues? Is that argument you had with your spouse, is that going to matter in heaven? Is that going to matter in heaven? Someone taking your seat in church? (laughs) Really? Like, really? Is it worth even getting worked up about the drama? But we, we do that. Our selfishness gets tweaked, doesn't it? And then we introduce unforgiveness, bitterness. It's like, no, you know what? We are to work together to help one another, to love one another. And so Paul reminds them here, listen, this is something you've lost sight of. You forgot. There's a bigger picture here. You need to see with eternal perspective. Isn't that what Paul said? That's how he didn't lose heart. We don't lose heart because we don't focus on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, Paul said. Because the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Paul goes on. And this is like the, I'm going to call this the LRT version, the Loose Robertson translation. You're going to let unbelievers handle this? In a secular courtroom, the secular judges are the least esteemed. They're not saved. They're not operating in God's wisdom. And the point Paul's making is what? These believers were choosing man's wisdom and man's ways over God's wisdom and God's ways. That's a bad road to travel on, you guys. They lost reliance on the authority of the scripture. And not only that, think about what's, this is just a side issue, but think about the leadership in the church at Corinth, what's going on. It's jacked up, isn't it? Isn't it? 
Remember what's happening? Everybody's rallying around their favorite leader, their favorite pastor. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. To the exclusion of everyone else. Now you have an issue with somebody. And guess what? You come to the leaders and you're not going to, it's going to be, the decision making is jacked up. There's partiality that's going on. You can't get anything done. So that's what happens when you allow a little bit of leaven into the body and not deal with it. This unresolved conflict. We have to deal with it, you guys. In-house. We deal with it in-house. And Paul's at verse 5. He's like, this is embarrassing. Really? How can this be? There's not one wise man at church. And remember, what were they boasting in? You guys remember what they were boasting in? Their so-called wisdom. We're so wise. Right? They were in love with what they thought was wisdom. And he's like, is there not one person there that can help you work through these issues? You know what that tells me? We should be able to. Because we have lots of wise men and women here. And so much drama in the body, but... We all have the wisdom needed to work it out, you guys. Don't we? We have the Holy Spirit within us. Do we have the Holy Spirit within us? And what does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, there's a number of things He does, but one of those is to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We have the Word of God. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that what? That the man or the woman of God is complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work with just your Bible. Have you ever thought about that? You're complete with your Bible. Thoroughly equipped. In other words, you have exactly what you need to do what the Lord has called you to do. And yet we look everywhere else. We look to man's wisdom and man's ways rather than looking to the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives wisdom, correct? Isn't that what the book says, Proverbs 2? Here's what it says. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And again, I think a lot of conflict would be would be resolved if we just did things God's way. Are you with me still? I think we should be men and women who can help each other work through these issues to bring peace and reconciliation. Do you know that God's heart is always reconciliation? What does a wise counselor do? What does a wise counselor do? Just think about the word for a minute. Wise counsel. He is someone who gives wise counsel. God's word provides his counsel. Correct? Listen, a wise counselor prays. Joshua 9. Remember what happened to Joshua and the team? They got deceived by this group of people called the... Starts with G, rhymes with Nibionites. The Gibeonites. The G- you know what it says? They were duped. Joshua and his team were tricked and deceived. And it says because they, listen, they did not ask counsel of the Lord. You know what that tells me? God has counsel he wants to give us to help us. To see clearly. To help one another. God gives counsel. God warns us about getting counsel from the wicked. Psalm 1, right? 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. God warns us about going against his counsel. And we need to look to Jesus because he is the wonderful counselor. And so, look what it says in verse 6. Brother goes to law against brother. Actually, if you look back to verse 5, it says, uh, judge between his brethren. And then he says, brother goes to law against brother. So brothers are suing each other, or sisters, the brethren, the sistren, they're suing each other in court. And what does he say? That before unbelievers. In other words, unbelievers are watching all of this go down. Are you with me still? And, and, and can I point out, Paul was not against all legal action. Correct? Didn't Paul appeal to the Roman courts? To Caesar? You guys remember that? Acts 22, Acts 25? Right? But that was not a dispute with another Christian brother. He was appealing to Caesar, appealing to the Roman courts for his rights as a Roman citizen against those who were persecuting him. Romans chapter 13, if you're taking notes, you can check it out. Paul tells us it is appropriate for the state to handle criminal cases. And I know the question is going to come up, well, pastor, what about suing unbelievers? What about going to court against unbelievers? I don't believe personally that the Bible is 100% clear about that. I think that you need to be led by the Lord. Are you still with me this morning? I've heard, I've heard great arguments on both sides of that. But listen, here's the point, and don't miss this this morning. In disputes amongst Christians, it should be dealt with here, not in the secular courts. You still with me? Amen? Amen? It is wrong. I'm going to go on a limb. It is wrong for Christians to take one another to court. It's wrong. Based upon this passage. In this case, what's the conclusion that unbelievers are coming to? What's the, is the name of Jesus being magnified? Are people saying, wow, I want some of that Jesus? <laughs> And there are people in Corinth that need to be saved. There's people around us that are heading to hell. And they're looking at our lives. They're looking at the witness of our lives, the testimony of our lives. And what's happening in Corinth is their witness is being damaged. The oneness. Listen, our oneness is to preach a message to the lost world. When Jesus prayed four times in John 17, he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that all the world would know that he was sent by the Father to give his life for us. And what happens when we're not, when we're divided? It's damaging to the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Listen, love and fruit are marks of a disciple. Are you with me? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I'm suing my brother. How's that look? Not a lot of goodness. 
Not a lot of love going on. Not a lot of peace. Correct? That's what's happening. That's why Paul is saying this. He's so emphatic about this. It's all about you. It's all about you. And you're damaging your witness for Jesus. And unbelievers are saying, I don't need that kind of drama in my life. They're airing their issues in public for the world to see. Do you know we do that too? I'm not saying here at Calvary Chapel, West Houston, because we're dialed in (laughs) by the grace of God. But the church, listen, the church, the body of Christ, by and large, don't we air out our stuff? And the lost world looks, don't we, with the tweets and Twitters or whatever they are? On Facebook, when we go viral, when we're online, when we're posting stuff, and it's like, whoa, whoa, dude, time out. You are doing damage. Have you prayed through this? Is that really a ministry of cutting down other believers? Of criticizing them? Have you gone to your brother? Have you even done what Jesus says in his word? Do you care about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has rescued you and set you free and gave his life for you? It's heavy. Paul, this is serious. Because it's going to ramp up here in just a moment. Look at verse 7. Because he says in verse 7, and I think he's addressing the two people in the dispute personally. He says, Now therefore... It is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. In other words, just by stepping into the courtroom, you've lost already. You've lost the case. Before it's even been tried, in the eyes of God, you've already lost. And Anybody ever been to court? Where you're innocent? You want to win, don't you? I want to win this thing. And and Paul's like, you guys have already lost. Chalk up one in the L column. So what's the what is the wisdom? What's the wise counsel for this issue? Look what it says. The answer is right in the text. Look what it says, verse 7. Why? Do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? You've been wronged. You've been ripped off. You've been done wrong. What's the wise counsel? Accept the wrong and let it go. What? You kidding me, man? You don't know what happened. Thought he was a brother. He had a fish. That's a little fishy, you know. Didn't Jesus? Didn't Jesus tell us that? Didn't Jesus tell say something like that? Jesus said in Matthew five, "But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also." If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. 
You know what I've learned in all of this? God will deal with that person. Correct? Are you with me? Do you guys remember Jacob? Anybody remember Jake the snake? Old Testament, dude? You remember Jacob? Heel catcher, deceiver. That's what his name means, doesn't it? Conniver. Remember what he did? He ripped off his brother a couple times. Tricked his dad. Living off half-truths and hand-me-downs. And what did he do? His brother wanted to whoop him, right? Take him out. And he went on the run. Conniver, deceiver, liar, cheat, snake. Goes on the run. And where does he end up? You guys remember where he ends up? I don't think it's an accident. Remember where he ended up? Uncle Laban's cabin. I don't think that was an accident. Because Laban was ten times the snake, cheat, deceiver that Jacob was. And sometimes people run. Don't they, they, they go church shopping, church hopping, and they have an issue with someone. And what happens? Rather than resolving the conflict, guess what happens? They go somewhere else, and guess who's waiting for them? Uncle Laban or Labinia. <laughs> That's the female version. Why? To drive that out of our hearts? Rather than deal with it, we run, we hide, we're such hiders. Rather than deal with the issues with one another and work through them together. Or if you're a cheat or a fraud... Man, you run, and you're a child of God. Listen, God, I, God will not allow us to sin successfully. <laughs> I tell that to my kids, but... It's like, He won't allow us to. He loves us too much. All right, pastor, well, what about me? I was wrong. I did nothing. You're telling me I just need to take it? Just take it like that, man? I'm innocent. I did nothing wrong. That dude scammed me. That dude's a conniver. He's the heel grabber. You're telling me just to take it? I'm innocent. I did nothing wrong. You know who that sounds like? That sounds like my Jesus. He, didn't he take it? He took the lashes on his back. Did he deserve it? Did he do anything wrong? Led as a lamb to the slaughter with his mouth shut. He took the crown of thorns on his head and a beating to his face. He took it. He didn't deserve it. Nailed to a cross. He took it for you and I. And the, the accusations, the spitting, the insults. He took it all. And he didn't deserve any of it. Peter tells us when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But what did he do? He committed all of it to the Father who judges righteously. It's not, easy. it's not easy. But that very one that did that for us is living in you and living in me to help us to do that. You guys remember what happened to Jacob? Well, let me back up. Listen, if, you, if you're right and didn't do anything wrong, God will be your defense. 
Do you believe that God is sovereign over your life? Do you believe that today? That he's in control? Even if you've been done wrong, even if you've been ripped off, even if you've been cheated, you say, Lord, I commit this into your hands. Listen, even when you're wrong, you've been the one that's been wronging, doing wrong, wronging, wrong. Is that a word, wronging? It just made it up. You've been the one wronging others. <laughs> and you submit yourself to God and repent. You know what? He'll work it out. He'll help you out. He'll help, he'll help you deal with it. Because remember what happened to Jacob? Because remember what happened to Jacob, how it swung back around? What happened to that dude? He got broken, didn't he? Bro- brokenness is good in God's kingdom. Brokenness in the world, people don't want broken stuff. God's kingdom, brokenness is a good thing. He got a name change. You guys remember after he got broken? He went from heel catcher, conniver, schemer to what was the name given to him? What was his new name? Israel. Which means ruled or governed by God. Did he always did he always walk in that? No. Did he have some slip ups? Yes. Do you guys ever slip up still? We do, don't we? But now his life is submitted to God. Surrender to God. That isn't that the greatest place to live your life? It's right in the middle of that place where it's like, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I trust you. I trust you. Here's my life. Well, verse 8 is interesting. He goes, no, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Listen, this morning, if you say you are a Christian and have no problem with doing someone wrong and cheating them, that is a symptom of a much bigger and more dangerous issue in your life. Because look at these next two verses and remember the context. Check it out. Look what it says. Let's read it together. Look what it says. Paul says in verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That is heavy. But we need to remember the context here too. He says, do you not know? The Corinthians, guess what? Should have known. We should know this. You reap what you sow. Paul said in Galatians, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Paul warns the church here about what? Self-deception. What is the deception? You know what it is? You can live any way you want to and get away with it. The problem is the wages of sin is death. 
And Paul gives a list. It's interesting. He says the unrighteous. He gives a list of the unrighteous. Those whose lives are characterized and dominated by these sins. Let me remind us, this is not an exhaustive list. This is not a comprehensive list. Paul wrote some other churches about this very issue. Those that practice these things, he's said it on a number of different places. He says in uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Jesus says the same thing in Revelation 21. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, remember our context. What's our context? It's corrupt dealings within the church. And you know what? Sometimes we can do, we can justify our actions, can't we? Can we justify our actions sometimes? I know it's not good, but it's not really that bad. This brother or sister cheating, defrauding, ripping off, another brother or sister, they put themselves in pretty bad company here. And, and, and let me just point out one other thing as we look at this text. A lifestyle of sin always begins with a single act of sin. Or single acts of sin. And Paul lists here. Neither fornicators, fornicators, it's the word pornos or pornos in the Greek. It means engaging in any, anyone engaging in sexual immorality. Engaging in or providing sexual intimacy outside of the marriage bed. Idolaters, those who put things above God. Adulterers, those who have sexual relations outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God or someone that has sexual relations with someone that is married. He goes and says in the next part of the verse, nor homosexuals, those who are engaged in sexual relations with someone of the same sex. And, and you know, I've had people justify this, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, because this word specifically speaks of um, homosexual, male homosexual prostitutes in Corinth or different places. And, uh, and they say, well, if you're, in, you know, if you're in love with that person, it's okay. This is just talking about male prostitution back in the ancient times. The problem is the next word, sodomites. And that is a general term for homosexual acts of all kinds. So there's not really a way to slither around this or get around this. But notice who else is in this list. Thieves, those who steal by stealth, an embezzler, covetous. Isn't that interesting? Covetous is listed in with these. One who is greedy for more and more greedy for gain. Drunkards. Please notice that drunkards are on this list. Those are people that get drunk. Revilers, those are people that are abusive. Extortioners, those are people that are, are thieves that use force or threats. And Paul says what? If this is the practice of your life, your lifestyle, God's word says the unrighteous or the unjust will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know, there are some people that strongly denounce uh, people doing certain things in this list. 
while they're engaged in other things in this list. Mm-hmm. You know that? I mean, what's the first, the first thing I think we think of is homosexuality. And it's like, yeah, amen. But then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, you're a covetous person. Or someone that's abusive. God doesn't pull out one and say, this is the worst. Does he? God is a righteous judge, and he calls every single one of us, every single sinner, to forsake that practice, to repent, and to turn. And, you know, I read this list, and I can't wait to get... we got one more verse we're going to look at this morning. Don't look yet. Don't peek. Don't peek. Don't peek. If you're peeking, repent immediately. <laughs> because these are just the types of people... Anybody find them? Were you once on that list? I was. I, you could have a couple of spots. These are, the, these are the types of people that Jesus died for, for us sinners. To save us, to set us free, to change us, to reconcile us to God. Paul, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, or the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Look at the next verse now. Check it out. Now we can read it together. So awesome. And he says, notice how many times he uses the word were. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that good news this morning? Wow. And he says there, such were. That's what you once were. That was once the practice of your life. That's the once you were, that was that was all you were about. You were once darkness. That's how you once lived your life. You were once enslaved to that. But not anymore. But not why? Because number one, you were what? You were washed. Isn't that great to be reminded of this morning? Your sins, past, present, future, washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, our deepest, darkest, gnarliest sins washed away. Those things that no one else knows about, washed away. The shame, the guilt, washed away by Jesus Christ. By His mercy, by His blood. But you were not only washed, but what's second? You were what? Sanctified. You know what that word means? To regard as special or sacred to be set apart. You know what that means? That means there's purpose for your life. That there is meaning for your life. Not only, we just read that list in 9 and 10. Not only will being engaged in that stuff, practicing that stuff, you'll end up in hell. But that stuff will ruin your life. And now the Lord says what? I've got something better for you. Greater for you. Those things are damaging and destructive. That you were once engaged in. Now I've placed you into my kingdom. Now you are sacred and special to me. I have a purpose for your life. I mean, when I first like grasped that, it was like, Lord, really? Like I have I've defiled this body, Lord. 
he would let me serve you. I've defiled this mind, Lord. And yet you want to set me apart for your purposes, for your plans. The Bible says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are his, it, literally, it's your, you're his work of art. Really? Really? But then what happens when you walk with the Lord and your life is set apart for him? He begins to change you and use you and mold you and shape you. And we are trophies of his grace. It wasn't us fixing ourselves and cleaning up our act. It's him working in and through our lives and making us beautiful in his time. What's really beautiful is a, is a Christ-like life, a broken life. A life of humility, a life of serving others, a life of bearing good fruit to the glory of God. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. The Lord says, I have sanctified you. Glorious. And not just that, you were what? What's the last thing? You were justified. Not only not guilty, not only does, does God say, you're not guilty anymore. Case is gone. It's thrown out. Torched. The Bible says that he forgives our sins and lawless deeds and chooses to remember them no more. How cool is that? Is that pretty cool, you guys? It's pretty epic. Not only does he say you're not guilty, but he places on our account the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are robed in the righteousness of our Lord and Savior. We now have right standing before Him. Is that beautiful? Does that cause you to rejoice? Let me finish with one verse. Because Isaiah rejoiced about this. He was like super stoked about this. You guys really excited about this? You rejoice? Or is it just joy unspeakable this morning? <laughs> Isaiah. Let me finish with this. Because he tells us how it happens. It's by the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is so good. Isaiah 61, verse 10. And Isaiah says there in verse 10, he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why are you rejoicing so greatly? Why is there so much joy in your soul? And it said, he says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Isn't that great? Thank you, Lord. We didn't buy the robe. We didn't earn the robe. We didn't deserve the robe. But the moment we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what does the Lord say? Here you go. Just like the prodigal son. Did the prodigal son clean, get cleaned up before that robe came on him? He came all stinky, didn't he? Straight from the pig pen, straight into the father's arms, and robed. Robed in the righteousness of our Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name.